This is the Star Coach Show with Meg Rentschler, episode 263. Value-based selling or value selling in general is, okay, there is a perception of something that they want. There's a price for it. What's the quality of service of what they're getting? That's in their heads. That's really what they're thinking. And the truth be told is most coaches are, they're terrible at selling value. (laughs) Most of them, right? Because no one ever taught them how. And that's, it's not necessarily the coach's fault. They just don't understand, right? When in a lot of them, they'll go through a coaching program, get a certification on a coaching program, but that's it. They teach you how to coach, but they don't teach you how to communicate and actually do the business of coaching, right? And I, the thing is, is I think you and I, on our previous conversation, we had this conversation, which was, we're not in the business of coaching. We're in the business of client acquisition so that we can provide our coaching. Welcome to Star Coaches, the show for professional coaches that brings you coaching strategies, tools, and resources. Whatever your focus or niche, take a front seat weekly as industry leaders, decision makers, and innovators share their wisdom and expertise on the ins and outs of successful coaching. Now join your host, Meg Rinchler, as she connects you with your star coaching potential. Hello, and thanks for being here. We have a great show today. We're going to be talking about how to use your coaching skills in a sales conversation to create that win-win energy, to be certain that you're inviting people to work with you who you really believe are good fits for you and that you're listening to what the client really needs to be certain that you're who they want? And then how can you invite them into your world in a way that is open to understanding the kinds of objections that they might bring and then resolving those objections? All such important information. I'm Meg Rentschler. I'm your host of the Star Coach Show. And for 13 years now, have worked as a coach, both with leaders in businesses to create the kinds of momentum and energy and healthy environments that help people thrive and get things done, as well as being a coach instructor in two schools and working with hundreds of coaches over the years to create the kinds of businesses that allow them to bring their coaching into the world with a skill set that they can be proud of so that they're engaging in confident ways. I'm so excited to have you here with us. Now, one of the things that the Star Coach Show, which is an acronym for Strategies, Tools, and Resources, strives to do is get you in front of the right resources to help you as a business owner, you as a coach, you as a leader, engage in the kinds of tools and strategies that will help you succeed. And to that end, I've created a resource page at starcoachshow.com slash resources. That's going to be some of my favorite resources that I use to grow my business, to engage with my clients. And I'm going to be adding to that every week. But I invite you to starcoachshow.com slash resources to be able to have that conversation about what are the kinds of things that we need to really have in place to build profitable businesses. Speaking of profitable businesses, that is exactly 
what my guest today does with his clients. Doug Brown started working in his family business at age three, and since then he has started and built over 35 companies. He has such a diverse background and comes to this show today with the mindset of a business coach with so he'll talk about things like making money and you know that that our job as coaches is to help other people make money and that certainly is one of the things that we do as coaches we also might help people tap into other energy places and other things that that create goals or or help them reach their goals. And I want you to listen to the message that Doug brings, which is basically all objections present from a state of fear. And when we're having that sales conversation with our clients, if we're in a place of fear as the coach and the client's in a place of fear, well, then we might just spin a little out of control. So what we want to do is really listen to these nine rules that Doug is going to give us to think about win-win sales conversations. Now, Doug, as I said, has had this diverse background. He's traveled to 47 out of the 50 states and 14 countries. He is a consultant, a coach, an advisor, a trainer, all around business. He's worked with some heavy hitters like Enterprise Rent-A-Car, Nationwide, Procter & Gamble, CBS, TV. He also has worked with the sales forces for Tony Robbins, Chet Holmes, Russ Whitney. So basically, the man knows what he's doing. He's out there helping people bring more revenue in, and it's through this win-win sales conversation. He is the CEO of Business Success Factors. And he coaches and consults with businesses to grow and accelerate their sales revenue and to expand and optimize what they do. He is creating a growth university, which we will talk about at the end of his interview today. And basically is what we're focusing on today is his award-winning book, his best-selling book of win-win selling. And we'll talk about that in detail in the interview. I encourage you to really put your thinking, listening hat on to be able to take the the lessons that Doug's going to bring to us and apply them to your own business, how you're showing up in the sales conversation, and basically giving yourself permission to have those conversations be win-win conversations. So let's go to my interview with Doug Brown. Doug Brown, welcome to the Star Coach Show. I am so pleased to be here with you this morning. Thanks, Meg. Thanks for having me here. I, you know, in our pre-conversation, I know this is going to be a lot of fun and give a lot of great information. So thanks for having me. Absolutely. Actually, in our pre-conversation, Doug was talking about what a difficult day yesterday was. All sorts of weird things happened. So we're going to just give him a warm welcome to the Star Coach (laughs) Show and hopefully make this a great experience for everybody. You have such incredible experience and are a best-selling author and you know sales inside and out. You know so many things. And and as I read your book, Win-Win Selling, Unlocking Your Power for Profitability by Resolving Objections, a bit of a mouthful first thing in the morning, but great 
just great messages. We're going to dive into that because, well, because it's a great book, but also in my experience of over 13 years as a coach, prior to that, I was a psychotherapist in private practice. So I've been a business owner for, it feels like a hundred years. And as a coach instructor, I know that sometimes as service providers, we bump into all this resistance to the sale, resistance to kind of getting out there and talking dollars and cents and talking the reality of if we want to stay in business, we need to have clients. So (laughs) when I read your book, there was just so many things that came home to me that I know the audience is going to gain so much from. And just like in general, if you talk about win-win selling, what's sort of the philosophy behind win-win selling? It's they win, you win, right? I mean, it's I know it's kind of basic, but the the reality is that there aren't bad clients. There are bad decisions to sell a client, our services or products when we know, oh, geez, this may not be right for them. You know, or it might not be right for me. Not every client is a good match for every coach. Without question. And, And in coaching, you know, a lot of times people are hungry for revenue. So they'll say, well, you know, it's not. I know it's not the right fit client, not the ideal client for me, but I can make it work. And in many cases we can, but in many cases we can't. And so win-win selling is all about doing the right thing by them and by ourselves. And because when we're coaching, we're developing a relationship of trust. And so if we play, you know, just as we would want to play the old golden rule or the platinum rule, right? Everything works out fine. It's when we deviate off that concept. So that's why. I took the title Win-Win Selling because that's truly what I'm all about, right? But there was a book prior to called Win-Win Selling. So I was a little concerned. How rude. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I was, I was like, there's no better way to describe this, right? And it's also about disengaging if it's not right. Oh, and, so good. Yeah. Right? And so, and it's, the whole book was around communication, how to actually communicate with somebody as you read the book. So, you know, so- it would, that really win-win selling is just about doing the right thing by them and us when it really comes down to it. And that concept of doing what's right and A, I can tell you without a doubt over my 30 plus years as a business owner, as a service provider, every time I've gone against my gut and brought on a client that I felt either I wasn't the best therapist or coach, depending upon the time for that person or vice versa. They just another person would have served them better in because they weren't the right client for me either. I've regretted it. I regretted (laughs) it every single time. So you talk about the concept of objections in the book. I mean, obviously it's, you know, resolving objections and and you make a point that is about resolving objections, not overcoming objections. Can you share a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. The concept really isn't, you know, I might sound a little modest here, but I, I don't really think the concepts in the book are all that are inspiring, but it it hits people because it's common sense and logic really when it well, comes to the way to you it. lay it out. It's just so key. It's like, oh yeah, maybe like you said, maybe I know that, but the way right. that you lay it out is just like, oh, and I can do this, I think is the other key thing. Yeah. And I always look for for material where I understand the why behind why I'm, you know, what the the what is, right? So if we're, if somebody says, you know, jump off a bridge 
And I don't ask the question why, for example, I might just jump off the bridge and that might be the end of me, right? Because it's so analogous in objections when people teach, well, if somebody says X, you say Y, well, that could be the analogy of jumping off the bridge onto the rocks. And the reason behind that is because all objections form in a state of discomfort or fear, right? So it's really major or minor fear presenting itself in an emotional way. And so what ends up happening is when we parrot back and they say X, we say Y, well, we might be driving more fear into the conversation by parroting back what was taught to us. And so now the challenge with that is we're no longer talking about objections. We're talking about the person who's received the new fear message and now is anchoring it to the person who actually created the fear message. So it's no longer about the real objection. So now you've got another objection, if you will, coming in and all of this entanglement emotionally. And so resolving objections is not about, it's not, a, not necessarily about not challenging the objection, but it's challenging the objection in a very respectful way so that the person can maintain that rapport that's going on because it's so important. So, it, you know, crushing objections, you know, that used to work maybe back in the 40s and 50s. But then along came something called the internet and uh, changed the information flow. And once that happened, people have as much information as they need at the stroke of a couple of keys. With information. So, your concept of let's care about people, let's help them meet their needs. And um, the way that we care about people is to get curious about what's going on with them in this particular situation. So when you go back to, you know, fear is the underlying element, whether it's fear of making a bad decision or fear of it, that, you know, kind of that concept of, well, if I purchase with this person, is there going to be another offer right down the road? Sort of those people who never get married, because what if the next best person is right down the road? So um, that I love that you've got fear goes to uncertainty and uncertainty is what creates those objections. And you've created, oh, oh, I have to say this part because guys, this is, I starred this like four times in his book because this is something I want all coaches to understand. This happens when the seller or you as the coach who's trying to engage with your client is more focused on your own goals rather than the client's goals or the person that you're trying to engage. What do you want to, what do you want to share about that? Well, that that's win-win, right? If, right. and that's win-lose if you play that way, because as a coach and you know, I'm a coach myself. So as a coach, we, our whole intention is two things really help the person make money. Right. But a lot of times in, when we're trying to persuade or we're trying to get the sale, we switch that to, I want the money first, and then I want to help the person. Right. There's nothing wrong with that philosophy. Only when it's self-serving does it become the wrong play. So we all, you know, we want to work as a coach. We should work as less as, as possible and make as much as possible. Because a lot of times in coaching, which could be a whole discussion, people think, well, if I just over-deliver and constantly over-deliver, I'm doing the client a favor. And that's not necessarily true if we barrage them with too much. They may not be able to implement at that point. Right. Because then they become overwhelmed and and might feel like this coaching isn't what I wanted. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you know, they, they need resolution to some pain or some opportunity that they're seeking. And if people keep in mind that when they're thinking about objections, 
that's what they're trying to resolve in their head. So, you know, there's a professional return on investment and a personal return on investment. And each one of those, if somebody fears the outcome not working out for them, whatever that might be, it could be, okay, a direct ROI, you know, I coach business. So in sales revenue growth and profitability. So they might be thinking, my gosh, what if I can't get the return? I invest all of this money, but I can't get the return. You know, Then I'm losing money. So that's a direct ROI, professional return on investment. But it could also be a personal return of, man, if I screw this up in my organization, then I'm going to be publicly embarrassed. right? And if I'm publicly embarrassed, now that anchor goes all the way back to childhood because I was publicly embarrassed in elementary school or whatever, and I still remember this. So they're anchoring these emotional responses of being anchored by fear of something that happened usually in the past or in the future. So yeah, we got to play win-win. If we don't play win-win, then, you know, again, as we said in the beginning, you know, it's not good for the clients, not good for us. So, and the other thing, you have nine (laughs) rules that we're going to walk through that are just so valuable. And the one more thing really popped out to me that I'd like us to highlight before getting to the rules, which is the question of, do I value what I sell? And I think that that is, that's at a crux sometimes, particularly for coaches who are building confidence or building, you know, I maintain that you have to be really good at what you do to be able to feel good about the transformation that's created or, or the result that your coaching brings. So that just that concept of, you know, are you stuck in the sales process because maybe you're not valuing what you sell? And as, as you bump into all these, all these people that you've worked with, that concept of valuing what they're selling. I know that many times it's products that you're selling and coaches are selling their services, they're selling that transformation. But what what do you want to add to that? Well, I mean, value-based selling or value selling in general is, okay, there is a perception of something that they want. There's a price for it. What's the quality of service of what they're getting? That's, that's in their heads. That's really what they're thinking. And the truth be told is most coaches are, are well, I won't, I, I, they're terrible at selling value, <laughs> most of them. Right. Um, because no one ever taught them how. Mm-hmm. And that's, it's not necessarily the coach's fault. They just don't understand. Right. When in a lot of them, they'll go through a coaching program, get a certification on a coaching program, but that's it. They teach you how to coach, but they don't teach you how to communicate and actually do the business of coaching. Right. And I, <clears throat> the thing is, is I think you and I on our previous conversation, we had this conversation, which was we're not in the business of coaching. We're in the business of client acquisition so that we can provide our coaching. So once we understand that, and that's the game, the philosophy behind successful coaching businesses, then it's like, okay, how do we present our value, right? <clears throat> and a lot of people, they understate their value. I do the same thing. You know, I mean, I've been coaching now for 22 years. I still understate my value. Um, and, you know, I, it's just me, right? The way I do it. But, you know, at that being said, you know, I'm doing seven figures a year. And so, you know, my value is going to be high enough. So here's how what people got to really be thinking about. You know, it's the old analogy. How much would a glass of water be worth if you just spent four days walking the desert and somebody would come up and said, hey, here's some water, right? Right. Uh, So 
what is the ROI that they're getting, personal and professional? We have to look at that as coaches because, you know, in my case, uh, you know, I, I like Intuit, you know, uh, was a client of mine. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're a big clients, so they can afford more money. Um, but the reality is they were in a division that we were working in was losing $10 million a year. And they went from a loss of $10 million a year to a $7 million gain in one year. So they had a $17 million swing. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. Right. Right. So what's that worth? And that worth at least 5%, 10%, right? They thought so because, you know, my engagement worked out to be over $400,000 with them. And so my point being is when you can create value, whether it's direct ROI or personal ROI, what if somebody gains confidence through, I don't know, whatever type of coaching, business coaching, life's coaching, whatever, but they gain the confidence level in order to now go and start their own business or gains the confidence level to get a job promotion because they weren't asking for it before. You know, I had a client, they were very successful financial advisors mm-hmm. and their business was almost done. They were making millions of dollars, but the brothers couldn't get along. <laughs> so that I ended up- <laughs> for a long work day. Yeah. It was to the point where one brother I was working with was saying the whole problem with life, business, everything was the other brother, right? So as coaches, we're supposed to listen. And if we keep hearing a recurring theme that that guy's a jerk, that guy's a jerk. Well, guess what? The person who keeps repeating it is usually the jerk. Right? <laughs> and so so I, I just started questioning him using concepts like I do in the book. Mm-hmm. And when we got to this place, what we realized was it wasn't his brother at all. And so we went through this transformation process that I take people through. And all of a sudden the business grew by, you know, almost 17% that year. And his brother and he were getting along great. And halfway through it, it wasn't his brother anymore. It was his wife. And then after we got through that, he and his wife have having the best relationship they've ever had, right? So what there was a direct ROI because they were making, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars more than mm-hmm. they, they were. Mm-hmm. But the personal ROI is he got his life back. So what was that right. worth to him? Right. right? So we want, we've got, as coaches, we want to look at the, what's the value that we, you know, and what do they value? So, you know, if we can get somebody $50 million, but they're like, I could care less. Right. You know, uh, you know, but if we can extend somebody's relationship skill, but they, they, they don't care, then they're not going to value that, nor will they pay high dollars for that. But if you can quantify what a divorce cost and, or a, a loss of a personnel in a business, you know, it costs 150% to overturn a, a salesperson, right? <clears throat> if we can quantify all that, add it up, monetize it, and then understand, do they value it or not? Right. This is how we sell on value-based. So good. So part of that is, like you said, not assuming what's important to the other person, but getting curious and asking, which is one of your rules. So we're going to go through the nine rules of of, um, resolving objections. And I promise you, you guys are going to hear some of these and think, oh, I know how to do that because that's what I do as a coach. Yet, as we walk through these, think about them when you're in that potentially, if if sales is something that makes you uncomfortable, then let's listen to Doug's rules. And maybe just maybe it will reduce some of the angst you have about engaging in that conversation. So 
The number one rule, I used to say this to my therapy clients all the time, breathe. So your number one rule is breathe and relax. Tell us a little bit about breathe and relax. Well, the, the purpose behind breathing and relaxing is because if we don't interrupt the pattern on us as the seller, right? So somebody says, yeah, you, it's it's too much money or you know, I would never do that. Or I, you know, my brother-in-law does exactly like that. And I don't, I hate my brother-in-law. They say something like that, right? Um, our natural reaction is to do something. So you and I were talking before the call and for those listening, I got attacked by African honey killer bees yesterday, right? And just and a it was, normal day. And it's, <laughs> it's just goodness gracious. But you know, I saw a bee around my daughter's head, a couple of them, and they were starting to fly toward my daughter. So to protect my daughter, I went up and just tried to push the bee off. Well, that's the dumbest thing you can do with an African honeybee, because all of a sudden they take that as a threat and, and they signal to their buddies, let's go. Um, and I didn't know it was an African honeybee, right? But I was just protecting my daughter. Right. Why? You know, somebody somebody's invading my daughter's space, right? So it's the reason I bring up this situation is it's analogous to what happens in sales. Somebody says something, we immediately want to react versus if I had just stayed calm yesterday and my daughter stayed calm, both of them, and we just had to start walking away from the bees, uh, I wouldn't have got stung. My other daughter wouldn't have got stung, right? So breathe and relax is really to interrupt the pattern. It also gives us the moment to actually ask questions of clarity. Because if we react, somebody goes, the price is too high. You know, in the old Tin Min days, they would talk, well, the price is too high, right? That type of reaction. All of a sudden, we're now in a metaphorical arm lock. We're in a fight. And, and as we said earlier, they're anchoring this to us. They're pissed right. off because of us. Now we've got another situation. So breathing and relax gives us the opportunity to interrupt our own pattern. And it also gives us the opportunity to get clear-headed and go to rule number two, which is- Which is get curious, <laughs> not confrontational. Exactly. And and the more curious we get, and um, I saw this picture, my, my, daughter, my youngest, my oldest daughter, Rebecca, when she was little, she loved butterflies. I mean, it was like, and she would get that butterfly and it would land on her hand or whatever. And she would just stare at it and not move. And she was so curious about what that butterfly, how the heck does this thing fly? You know, what is it thinking? What it, what it might be. You know, as coaches, we are supposed to be thinking this way through the whole coaching situation anyways, right? Right. But, but when it comes to sales, people think, oh my gosh, you know, this person might reject me or whatever it might be. But when we get curious, we start asking questions of curiosity, just like little children, right? Or in, in a lot of cases, you know, adults who are, in, you know, inquisitive. You know, my wife is like that. I, I, I joke with her every, uh, every morning. Um, I, I'm like, you ask me a hundred questions before 9 a.m., right? <laughs> she does and she laughs, but you know, they're all quality questions and that's the key. You want to get curious, not confrontational because the moment you get confrontational, you're going to break rapport. As soon as you break rapport, you're in another place and it's no remember, longer. You're already anchored as potentially the person who's creating discomfort. So you want to, and, and actually that leads very well into number three, which is think before you act or speak. Oh God, I wish I had known that in my youth. <laughs> I got myself into so much trouble, you know, because I was brought up in an environment, Meg, which is you were rewarded for being quick-witted, right? You had to, because I grew up in a, in a I would say an environment, if you weren't quick-witted, you'd get beat okay. literally, right? Mm -hmm. Right. That type of thing. So I, I developed this ability to be very quick-witted out of survival. And, 
you know, it's great as a coach because you can listen and, and come quickly to the point that they need. But in communication, being mm-hmm. too quick to not thinking and just acting, we can now just blurt something out. When we learn to think before we actually speak, and it doesn't take long. I mean, you could just click your fingers like that. That's enough time for us to think. And it also provides us the, the ability not to get confrontational or to overreact. Right. Because, you know, it's like <laughs> yesterday with the bees, as soon as I started, you know, moving it, and then one of them stung my daughter, I'm like trying to smack the bee. As soon as I just go for the other bees, the other bees come out and, and now we're in a fight, right? Mm-hmm. And, and mm-hmm. I'm like, so it's the same thing. Human beings are, well, I guess we're like bees in that regard, right? Right. Well, and, and if you've gotten curious and you've gotten information, then think, think about you know, how you want to potentially respond to that. You don't need to be knee-jerk reaction to things because then I don't think you're fully using. And in fact, you go to number four, which is ask really good questions and then let the other person speak. Like that is like coaching 101, ask great questions, give them a chance to respond. So what might you want to add to that? Asking good quality questions is really about getting them to talk, right? So when somebody's in fear, they'll tend to hold. So when we get them to talk, they'll tend to talk about whatever it is. Now, they might not come out and say exactly. I mean, if you think about, you know, a little child, right? I mean, I don't know, two brothers get in a fight, you know, early on, they're just little, right? And one brother comes up to the mother and goes, hey, you know, Johnny, you know, is, is trying to beat me up, right? And the other brother's like, I didn't start it. He did. And then they, no, no, Johnny started. And they go back and forth, back and forth. Right. Right. If the mom's keying in enough, she'll ask questions. Well, tell me what happened. Well, it turns out that Johnny's younger brother started the fight because he was instigating Johnny by stealing something. He took his fish or whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. Right. But he, he, the little one omits that out of the conversation. So it seems like Johnny's the bully. Right. Right. So we want to ask quality questions that get them to talk. Now, in sales, traditionally, that's called an open-ended question, right? We don't want a yes or no answer, not right out of the gate. Uh, there are time for, for yes or no answers, but that not right out of the gate. So mm-hmm. we want to get them to start expressing themselves because as they start to express themselves, then they start feeling more comfortable. Okay, well, maybe this person is going to listen, right? And our job is to get to, as we'll get to what I call the real it. Right. So, okay, good. So then you, your fifth rule is that we don't overcome objections. We resolve them. Right. What's that all about? Well, again, it's win-win, right? Mm-hmm. So if we try to overcome or crush the objection, you know, um, then we'll come off many times as confrontational. So, you know, somebody says, you know, yeah, this is not the right timing. Well, when is the right timing? No, right? You want to just live in like this situation forever? <laughs> exactly. Right. You don't, and you, you don't purchase this now. You're going to be in the same place a year from now. <laughs> exactly. And the thing is, is they're on the other side saying, okay, this person's trying to sell me. Right. They're right? pushy. They're maybe a little aggressive. Yeah. And do I want that person coaching me like this? Right. So if we are intelligent about what they are thinking and what's valuable to them, they may want a pushy coach, right? I've had people come to me and say, you know, I've had clients on retainer and I'm like, listen, you haven't called me in two months. You know, maybe we should just stop. And they go, what are you crazy? And I'm like, well, what do you mean? They're like, when I get in a funk, I call you. If it's every three months, 
you get me out of it like that. That's worth way more than I'm paying you. So I'll joke with them at that point and go, well, should I be raising my rate? <laughs> and so, you know, but, but yeah, you, you, you play win-win, you know, what's the right thing for them? What's the right thing for ourselves? When we do the right thing for them, we're respecting them. When we do the right thing for ourselves, we're respecting ourselves. So good. So that actually tied right into number six, which is focus on win-win. So number seven is there should be no loser. And we talked about this earlier, but sometimes it's right to walk away from a sale. So there should be no loser. What else do we want to add to that? Well, when we play that way, then it ends up happening miraculously as we end up getting referrals, right? So a lot of people think, oh, I lost the sale. No, maybe not, mm-hmm. right? I mean, you know, I had a friend who played this way, you know, and he ended up picking up a, a referral that popped $4 million into his pocket. Boom. because he was willing to disengage when he was willing to disengage, they realized, okay, this guy actually has values Mm -hmm. that we appreciate. So when he asked for the referral, which is something I teach people all the time to do, then, um, then he got the referral. Well, it turned out to be a $4 million client, right? So it, the, the, the reality is that when there, there should be no loser, right? It's, it's kind of like when I was younger, I used to, box. When I went in the military, I would box, right? Because I, I thought it was a cool way and I thought I could get girls this way, but it turns out I was totally wrong. Um, <laughs> all I got was beat up and and um, and stuff like that. But the but I, it always never ceased to amaze me. Like if you watch a fight on television or whatever, they they pound on each other for 15 rounds, then they, then they hug each other at the end. And it's like, <laughs> it makes no sense, right? To me originally, but they understand the game. They understand there's there's a loser to the fight, but there's no loss, right? And so what we want to make sure is there's no loser or no loss at all when, when we're dealing in business. So we do the right thing by the client. We do the right thing by ourselves. They'll respect us. We'll respect them. And through the conversation, we do number eight and number nine. We watch our tone and expression and we maintain rapport at all times. What do you want to add about that? It's so easy to break rapport. Right, it's so easy to break rapport. I was telling you, my my wife asks a hundred questions, you know, and 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 she does. By the way, she's the one. She's the reason because she asked me questions why I published the book. Actually, she asked me. Uh, she said, "Geez, because uh, I wrote the book and it sat for two years. I've written four books actually. I just don't put them out, which is kind of like you know, you go, well, Doug, that's not too smart, you know. But the <laughs> the truth is, I write books to think so I can teach. That's the reason I write them. But she said, can I read the manuscript one day? And I said, sure. And I gave it to her. And she came back to me. She actually was my client originally. She was my coaching client. And she came back to me. She goes, that book was really good. I said, oh, that's great. So she started and she asked me a question. She goes, well, I'm curious, what, what, what prompted you to write the book? I said, well, I wanted to help people. She goes, oh. And so she asked me three or four other questions. And I answered them. And she goes, you know, Doug, I have one other question. She goes, how are you going to help people unless you release the book? I was going to say, <laughs> how many people are getting helped in this with this manuscript that's in the drawer? Yeah. So that was the closing question, right? So, <laughs> and I went, oh my gosh, yeah. And I released the book. Well, I never knew it was going to be an international bestseller, mm-hmm. right? But the, so that it's, we want to ask quality questions and lead them, but you know we don't want to overstate. We always have to stay in rapport. And she stayed in rapport through the whole process. And when we don't watch our tone, because she could ask me the question, well, 
Hey, Doug, come on, dude. You know, that yeah, type of comment, right. right? Like with that type of tone, then I might've said, eh, mm-hmm. I'm not going to reject, you know? Right. So we have to watch our tone. And if you've ever been in a, an argument or a fight or whatever, and you get to the place and you don't even know why you're arguing, like, it's like you get in there. It's just so like going back and forth and back and forth. Guess what? You didn't watch your tone. Someone didn't watch their tone, right. their tone right. of voice. And I teach this when people are selling, it's like, you can say the same word, but just with a different emphasis on the word. And, and it changes can, the whole conversation. Oh, it could be loving to a battle either, right. you know, that, that exactly. whole thing. Right. So we want to watch our tone, especially on the first question that we're asking or the first response that we're giving them. And the reason behind that is because if our tone is condescending at all, they're going to pick up on it. And when they pick up on it, all of a sudden drop in trust. Right. And now we've got another issue. Right. And it's, it's, you know, if this other person is whole and resourceful and creative, we don't need to be talking down to them. It's just this concept of, do we really believe that working with us is going to make a difference in their lives? And that it's that belief that through full integrity, we can offer what we sell if we really believe that, because it goes back to your point about, are we caring that what we're bringing forward really will impact this other person's life and to what they value, not what we value. So, so good. So, uh, and I often say to coaches, it's not even what you say all the time, but the music that you put to your words. So (laughs) yeah, definitely in this conversation about bringing somebody into work with you, we want to pay attention to the music that we're setting our words to. Doug Brown, it has been such a joy to talk to you about the work you do, about the concepts that you bring forward in um, your book, as well as just kind of in in the work you do with others. If people want to stay in touch with you, what's the best way for them to engage? Well, they could always buy the book at Win-Win, you know, selling book, winwinsellingbook.com. But if they want to get a hold of me directly, if you don't mind, Meg, I'm going to plug something that I'm going to do coming up in 2022, which is I'm going to, for years, I was the guy behind the scenes, you know, driving lots of revenue for lots of training companies and big, big business. But I never realized what I had was really that much of a skill, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, my first year of coaching, I mean, I started, I was doing $65,000 a month in coaching in my first year. And I didn't think that was anything special, but I've come to understand that that was kind of special. special. Yeah. Right. So, and all I did was apply what I know right? Because I had no system back then. Mm-hmm. So through the years, people have asked me, you know, I mean, yeah, I work for Tony Robbins. I work for Chet Holmes. I work for Russ Whitney, all these big training names. And they, you know, I was able to take Tony's close rate on his coaching team and, and up it, you know, they were doing 20% conversion, $1,500 a month. And in four months, six months, they were doing $2,500 a month at 20% conversion, right? So that that's a lot of money when you think about Mm -hmm. and and a lot of other people being impacted who wouldn't be impacted. And so what I decided to do again at the urging of my wife is I decided I'm going to create a training university next year on conversational conversion, what I call conversational conversion. It's the same things that I would, I taught Tony's people, Chet Holmes people, you know, all the way through. So somewhere around probably February, March of next year, I'm going to open this up. But if, if people want to kind of either get on a waiting list or they want to talk to me about it, you know, just send me an email at Doug at com or my LinkedIn address is Doug Brown one, two, three, four, or by the book, you'll get a free video course on objections by doing it. So, um, and that, and I'll capture the information that way too. 
Beautiful. Thank you again for spending time. It's been a joy. Thanks, Meg. I really appreciate being here. If you'd like to know more about Doug Brown, about his offering, about his international bestseller, Win-Win Selling, Unlocking Your Power for Profitability by Resolving Objections, starcoachshow.com slash 263 and get all the information you need to connect with Doug. Also remember, starcoachshow.com slash resources is going, I'm going to be adding on a regular basis my favorite resources, the platforms that I use, the trainings that I go to, different things to think about as you're building your profitable business. Now, I invite you back next week as I am visiting with Master Certified Coach Annie Gilfin. Annie has been on the show before, and I invited her back for A, her mastery in coaching and for us to talk about the skills that masterful coaches bring forward. We're going to talk about the power of not knowing, which is actually something I just talked on a podcast about. So I was very invested in this conversation with her. The concept of the coaching agreement, which is always a challenge in to overcome, and just, you know, how you can also get your core competency training hours if that is needed. So that's all next week with Annie Gelfin. Please come back. I think you'll really enjoy that conversation. It's a skill building conversation and I think just key to how we partner with our clients. And I welcome you to share the podcast with anyone that you think would benefit from the content that we bring forward every week because the way that the show will grow and bring the benefit that I'm hoping that it brings to people is if more people know about it. So anytime you share the show or you leave a rate and review, I am so appreciative because that means other people will find the show as well. So this is Meg Grenchler wishing you the very best for your coaching success. Have a fantastic week and I hope to see you next. Bye-bye.